You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for all of you having me here. I want to thank Pastor Jeff and Janie and the whole pastoral team. you got an awesome church. This is our church home away from home, as I told everybody earlier. Uh, it is good to be out of the heat in Arizona right now. My wife and I are thankful for that. It was 116 two weeks ago. Uh, so if you have a home in Arizona, I understand why you're not there right now. We'll just go ahead and uh, dive into the Word in just a second, but I do want to uh, kind of echo what Pastor Jim said, that uh, that actually word God gave me three different times as I was preparing for this uh, message and it's actually, I, I had forgotten, it's actually in the scripture that we're going to look at. But uh, I want to encourage you uh, that whatever the battle is you're in, the battle does belong to the Lord. It really does. And this is not a time for the church in America to give up and quit and roll over and die and, and forget about the promise of God. This is the time for every one of us as the people of God to grab a hold of God's word, grab a hold of, uh, maybe even reprioritize uh, the focus of our lives towards the things of the kingdom of God. And so I uh, want to encourage you today, my message title is Developing a Champion's Heart. Uh, and we're going to look at uh, the life of a, one of my favorite people in the Bible is a guy named David. I'm sure you've heard quite a bit about him, but David, uh, there's a lot to, to, to preach about in David. And so uh, I'll, I'll cover a couple highlights, uh, the cliff notes of his life and some really key things. Uh, to kind of set this up, uh, David was the second king in Israel. He was a person that God, of course, called and, and God used mightily. Uh, but you have to understand the situation in which God called him because for every one of us, and just if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Samuel. Uh, all of you turn there while I'm talking for a minute. 1 Samuel 17. Uh, we've got some of the notes uh, we'll have available on the, on the screen as well. But 1 Samuel 17. Uh, in verse 1, we're going to look at a uh, kind of, you know, familiar story, uh, common Sunday school story. Maybe we'll look at a couple things they don't talk about in Sunday school, but uh, the, the little more graphic parts. But uh, one of the things about David I like, it, it, it actually talks probably more about David in the Bible than any other figure besides Jesus. Uh, David's uh, used powerfully, but what's unique about David is that he, uh, of course, wasn't a perfect man. He made a, a lot of huge mistakes, uh, uh, you know, committed adultery, committed murder to cover it up. I mean, you know, there's, there's no uh, mafia movie that has anything on David. But if you look at David's life, he's a person, the Bible describes, as a man after God's own heart. He was a man who knew how to get back up after he failed. And God uh, worked powerfully in his life. But to kind of set up the scene into which God called David and why, uh, what God put on this, my heart for this message is the need for uh, God's people uh, to be developed, to be, uh, if you don't know, every one of us is in process. Uh, how many, you know, been saved long enough to find out you're in a process? Uh, and, and I keep waiting for the process to end, but the Holy Spirit has decided that I don't look like Jesus yet, and, uh, and he's got a lot more work to do, and, and so he won't let me stay the same. That's the, that's the good news. Uh, and so as God's working in our life and he's preparing us, he's developing us for something. We, of course, are, are called to eternity. We're called to be with God in heaven, but while you're here on earth, you have a purpose. You have something that God has uniquely called and placed you here for. 
when we think of the plan of God, sometimes we're, we're praying for God to do something. And I believe we should be a people of prayer. We should be a people that are motivated by and pursue. I love that what you're doing on Friday, that's important. We need to, uh, in fact, during uh, morning pre-service prayer, I'll, I'll just share this with you, Pastor Jim. I uh, actually saw two things with the church here. You know, of course, right now with, with all of the things leading up to, uh, you know, you guys are, all, all the presidential candidates are taking you out on a first date. Uh, right here in Iowa, you know, all I hear about in Arizona is actually in Iowa what's going on. And of course, there's national attention politically because of, of things with the elections here. But you have to understand, God, uh, while things are, there's a tension in the natural, God's about to put a spotlight on this state because of what he's going to do here. And I believe part of that's going to involve what he's going to do in your church. God's, uh, and I saw this during worship, God's giving this church a torch uh, that, that represents a movement of what he's going to do in his kingdom. And, and maybe it's going to be Friday, maybe that's going to be a catalyst of that. Because uh, I really believe the greatest thing that God is going to do in the church is still to come. The Bible says that the end of a thing is better than the beginning of a thing. We talk a lot about the early church, but we forget that God's going to do something with the last church. Amen? And, and whether or not it's the last days, I like to tell my church, it's still your last days. And so we've got a responsibility to grab hold of what God has for us now. God's looking for champions. He's looking for people of faith that won't run and quit, but will fight. That will stand for their families. That will fight for their kids. Uh, what we need more than ever is God's looking for leadership. And, it, you know, a lot of times we, we don't think of ourselves as leaders, maybe because we don't have a title. But leadership is, first and foremost, not about a title. It's about influence. And every person in here, no matter who you are, what age you are, uh, how big or small your circle is, you have influence in somebody's life. You have responsibility to impact somebody's life for God and for the kingdom of God. And we're responsible to God for how we use that influence. We're going to either have an effect of drawing people closer to God or we're going to push them from God as the church. We need to be a people to draw them to God. Jesus called the church salt and light. Salt, you know, I, I, my wife and I are big movie people and we like to have popcorn and, you know, my wife introduced me to popcorn and hot tamales. I don't know if that's an Iowa thing, but it's, it's, a, it's a Jenna and Mark and Cassie thing. Uh, but... You know, popcorn has salt on it, of course, and one of the things that happens, I know salt preserves, uh, but, but salt is also something that, I know this is really deep, get ready for it, salt makes you thirsty. And the church is to have such an encounter with God, such an encounter with his word, that we make those we meet with thirsty and hungry for God. Our life should make others want what we have. Are you with me? So it's important, God's looking, in fact, to set this up, before we look at 1 Samuel, uh, David was called into an environment that had a huge leadership vacuum. Uh, before the first king came along, the Bible says, and I'll give you two, uh, one verse if we can put it up, Judges 17.6, and if you are taking notes, Judges 17.6 and another verse, 21.25, say the same thing. So I only put one of them up here. It says in Judges 17.6, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And I gave you both references because between Judges 17.6 and Judges 21.25 is one of the weirdest, most bizarre uh, seasons of Israel's history. 
Uh, everything from false religion was introduced, idolatry to all kinds of violence and immorality and all kinds of stuff happened, not outside among the Philistines and the Canaanites, but within Israel, the people of God. And it says the reason for that was there was a lack of a king. There was a lack of kingdom leadership. There was a lack of understanding. The Bible says without vision, people perish or cast off restraint. Vision is what gives you, uh, and you know, part of our, our, our responsibility in influencing others, let's say you're a parent, that's, that's part of being a leader. As you influence your kids, you're to impart vision to them, vision for their future, vision for what God has for their life. Uh, we're to be, you know, our kids are either going to come to God because of us or in spite of us. I, I, you know, I can either be a stumbling block or a stepping stone. I want my kids, when they think of faith, when they think of, of prayer, I want them to, to immediately be able to recognize that in my life so that I can impart that into theirs. And so in this, in this season, God's looking for people that are, are captured, motivated by, and, and indwelled with God's kingdom. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, doesn't come with observation where you say, you know, there it is or here it is. It's not like a political kingdom. But Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. Uh, in other words, the kingdom is the rule and reign of God inside of you, but God doesn't want to just dwell in you, he wants out. He doesn't want to just, you know, give me happy feelings about being a Christian and being saved. He wants to impact everything uh, we touch, everything, every environment we go into. I like to challenge my church with this. Uh, you know, we're, uh, as Christians, we're called, there's, there's two things. This is very important in Arizona, especially this time of year. Uh, we, we thank God for things called thermostats. And a thermostat controls the, the environment's temperature. It controls the climate of the room. I can either be a thermometer and just respond to problems going on in my family, going on around me, or I can be a thermostat. I can be one that steps in and doesn't just react or complain about problems, but I actually bring a solution. And everyone in here, you're called to bring a solution. Do you know every problem, I believe this, every problem we see, because we see throughout Scripture, when there was a problem on the earth, God, God's solution was to raise up a man or woman. When there's a problem in a family, he raises up a man or woman. When there's a problem in a community or a nation, God raises up a, a man or a woman, and he wants them. See, there was a vacuum. A, we, we have a huge need, the, and we'll, we'll see this in a second, um, in fact, well, let's, let's read 1 Samuel 17 so you can see what I'm going to talk about. Uh, 1 Samuel 17, 1. Now the Philistines, fast forward to David, the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Soka, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soka and Azekah and Ephesus Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together. Saul's the next, he's the first king. He's the king that precedes David. When God called Saul, he was genuinely called of God. Of course, we know that the people demanded a king, but it wasn't the people that chose Saul, it was God. He wasn't anointed by people, he was anointed by God. And Saul started out well, but he didn't finish well. There was something about Saul that inside, he didn't have the reign of the king of kings. So you can be a leader, you can have influence, you can have responsibility, which every one of us does in some degree, but how we use that determines what kingdom dwells inside of us. What kingdom we allow to influence our thoughts, our behavior, our attitudes, our actions. 
And when we allow God's kingdom to affect us, we partner with God's purpose in the earth. We partner with what God wants to do. So, so my job as a parent is not to find out what do I want my kids to do. It's to find out what God has for my kids. Are you with me? It's not, my, my, my responsibility as a husband is not to just figure out what I want for my family, but what does God want? See, I'm going to stand before God one day and have to talk to him. See, I'm, I, 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 I'm accountable. i got a great father-in-law. I'm accountable to him, but ultimately I'm going to go to God and have to answer for how I treated the king's daughter. Hello. And so it's, it's, we have to understand, as a, you know, I'm a pastor, but in every area, that, maybe you're a business person, maybe you just, whatever your area of responsibility is in your job, in your family, in your community, God's given us responsibility. We're stewards of what he's given us. And I want to be able to use that. See, we don't just have a vacuum of leadership sometimes. Sometimes we have the wrong leadership. And the wrong leadership can be just as bad, sometimes worse, than no leadership at all. You see this with Israel throughout their history. So Saul, uh, Saul was a guy who was genuinely anointed, but things went from bad to worse because he didn't allow God to continue working inside of him. And so uh, Saul and the men of Israel gathered together to fight the Philistines. And it says they drew up in battle array, verse 2, against the Philistines, verse 3. So the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And this is why I wanted you to see this. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath. And it goes on to describe him. He's, this guy's a beast. He's six cubits in a span. It describes the weight of his armor. This guy is not somebody you want to mess with. But it, this word champion here is unique. Most of the times the Bible uses the word champion. It's describing somebody of strength. And of course this guy has strength, but this word is a different Hebrew word. It's a word that literally means the divide or the space between two camps. And if you look at this battle scene, this gives us an understanding of what this word meant. On one side is the camp of the Philistines, on another side is the camp of Israel. And the way they would do this, rather than having the entire army fight, is one side would send a representative to fight on their behalf. If he won the battle, the, it represented the entire army winning the battle. If, if they lost the battle, the entire army would lose the battle. Aren't you glad that Jesus stood in the midst for us and he won the battle? Amen? He won the war. And, and everything we do as Christians, everything we fight for, is on the basis of what Jesus did. Are you with me? Now, now a champion is somebody like we see with Goliath who's willing to get in the middle of the valley. And for us, a, a champion of God's kingdom is somebody who's willing to get in the middle of life's issues, who doesn't run, but gets in the middle of it. You see, Jesus put it this way. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, the uh, United Nations pulls troops from different uh, countries, and they call them peacekeepers. And I, I've never seen anything, you know, maybe I'm only seeing one side of stuff, but I haven't ever seen too much where they've been effective because they're put somewhere, but they're not allowed to do anything. They're not allowed to fight. They're not allowed to engage enemies. They're just there. They're just a presence. And sometimes we think we're just going to fix things by just sitting here. Are you with me? By just osmosis. <laughs> but we're not called to be peacekeepers. Peacekeepers maintain the status quo. The, the, really, in a lot of ways, what we're reaping right now in our country is the result of the churches being peacekeepers instead of peacemakers, running instead of advancing. Are you with me? Two of you, good, okay. 
So if there's a problem in my family, or there's a problem in front of me, whatever it is, I need to be one that is willing to get in the middle of the issue, in the middle of it, pray for, fight for, stand for, be with those that are hurting, engage. With, that's what God's looking for. People that will just simply show up and give God an opportunity to work through them. So here's the problem. The Philistines have a champion, but Israel, nobody's showing up. <laughs> The entire army's ready, the entire army's arrayed against Goliath and the Philistines, but nobody's speaking up. In fact, Goliath for 40 days challenges Israel to send somebody out to fight him. And for 40 days, that challenge goes unanswered. It's time for us to answer the challenge of our Goliaths. It's time for us to stop listening to the devil say, I've got your kids, I've got your marriage, I've got your community, I've got your country. It's time for the church to start talking back. My parents uh, taught me well. They said, don't talk back to people, don't talk back to your parents, but I learned something. You can talk back to the devil. In fact, it's a necessity. Are you with me? When... Every time Jesus was tempted by the devil, he spoke something back. He declared God's word. It's time to talk back. Why don't you tell your neighbor, it's time to talk back. God was looking for a leader after his own heart. Israel was sitting there watching, listening to Goliath. But something about, you know, I don't... I know that God had a plan. David was already anointed, chosen to be the next king. God was going to work through this situation to raise up David. But I have to think that anybody in Israel could have answered the call. I have to think that anybody in Israel, because the issue was not about David being anointed. David called it out. In fact, David shows up, and he shows up to the battlefield, and David says the very thing that's necessary. He says, who is this guy who's uncircumcised? Now, just so you know, David was not concerned about his hygiene. He was talking about the fact that Goliath is challenging and mocking God and God's people, but he has no covenant with God. And David can't understand why God's people, the armies of God, who have a covenant with God, refuse to fight, refuse to answer back. And I think sometimes fear makes us victims when we're called to walk in God's victory. Fear causes us to run from the place. Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift of God that's in you. Don't neglect the gift of God. He says, stir it up, fan it into flames. And then the very next verse he says, for God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. Fear will always cause you to bury what God has called you to use. Fear will always cause you to run from, think things won't change when God's called you to be a part of the change. David, God found David. I want you to see this because this is where God, we, we think God looks for, when we think of a champion, you know, we think of, of the best, the strongest, the brightest. In fact, that's what the Philistines put forward. But when God looked for a champion, he didn't look for any of the normal qualifications. When God called David, David is one of several, he's, he's got a large family, he's got several brothers, seven brothers, I think, and when he was to be anointed as, as king, the next king, Samuel the prophet shows up and he says, hey, uh, Jesse, this is David's dad, Jesse, why don't you gather your sons together? One of them's gonna be king. I'm here to anoint the next king. And Jesse gathers seven of his sons together, but he forgets one of them. Have you ever felt forgotten just a little bit? No, you're in good company. 
And I don't think it was an accident that David, in fact, the Bible tells us that uh, David wrote this of himself in his own psalm. I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin, my mother conceived me. And, and it's tradition in the Jewish culture that David was possibly born uh, as, as, as a result of an affair. And so he's kind of like the black sheep of the family. He's kind of one of those that, you know, Jesse's kind of sweeping it under the rug. I'm bringing out the, the best, the brightest. But David was not, he may have been forgotten by people, but he wasn't forgotten by God. You know, God knows your address. He knows your phone number. (laughs) God hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't forgotten about, here's the good thing about God. God's promises have no expiration date. What God has put on your heart, what God has stirred your heart to pray for, what God has shown you in his word, what God has declared over your life prophetically, God's promises have no expiration date. And God finds this little hippie kid in the middle of, the, of taking care of some dirty sheep. I know we glamorize shepherds now, but it was not a, a, a clean job. Now, I'm, I'm a city guy. I, I, I came over, my, my brother-in-law, some of you know him, he's got horses. We went over to his house a few years ago. And one of the things I found out about horses is, man, they leave a mess. So do sheep, and, and David's taking care of these sheep, it, and, and usually, you know, the shepherd uh, sometimes had to walk behind him. Watch your step. And, and, and he's taking care of, but he's, he's, he's basically ignored, even rejected. It's funny, God can take rejection and use that as the means to prepare you for promotion. Do you know that? God can take, Jesus is described as the stone that the builders rejected that became the chief cornerstone. We think rejection means we're done. Rejection actually means it's a setup by God. You see, you know, how do you overcome rejection? Well, here's the thing. You've got to learn to, if, if people's praise moves you, then so will their rejection. If you're built up by what people have to affirm you, and, and I believe in, we need to be as a church the most honoring, the most building up. It is not the church's job to keep people humble. God's perfectly able to do that himself. But here's the thing that we have to recognize. If I'm moved by what people say or don't say about me, if, I'm, if everything rises on or falls based on people's acceptance, affirmation, whatever, then I'm going to crumble at their criticism. Well, let's, let's put that in 2015. If, if my day revolves around how many likes I got on my status on Facebook. Okay. Let's, let's make it, you know... Put it in those terms. Jesus was the same whether they shouted crown him or crucify him. And they even did it in the same week. Sometimes being faithful to God means that you're going you're gonna to stay plugged into what God says you are and who God says you are, whether people say crown him or crucify him, whether people are with you or not. But God uh, found this guy, David, and the thing about him being all by himself is it was the perfect opportunity for him to encounter God. And while he was all by himself, God met David, and David became the man after God's own heart. He wrote some of his psalms, and God was preparing a champion. What's funny about this is when Israel needed a warrior, God found a worshiper. 
Don't ever think that worship is just feminine. Are you with me? Because David was a bad dude when it came to fighting. David knew how to fight, and he learned how to fight. He became a great warrior. The guys who hung around David, you're always going to become like what you hang around, just so you know. If you hang around a bunch of critical, negative, backbiting people, it's not going to be long before you, so are you. <laughs> but if you, if you get around God, if you get, in fact, I love this. The Bible says in Acts 4.13, and I think we have this one on the screen. Acts 4.13 says this, that when the Pharisees, when the, the, the teachers of Israel who had rejected Christ, when they saw Peter and John, they saw something different about them. It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. I like the way our English, uh, that's from the New King James Bible, uh, I like the way the New King James Bible makes it nice. Because the word untrained is where we get our word idiot from. Idiotus in the Greek. So this isn't just that they didn't go to school, they think of these guys as idiots. Hey, God's looking for some. <laughs> That's good news. Paul said this. He said, when God called you, not many of you were wise, not many of you were strong, not many of you were uh, all the things that the world looks for, and whether everybody, what they have, ultimately came from God. But what happens sometimes is when we become self-dependent, we forget that we need God. David was a guy who knew that he had nothing but God. He knew that he needed God. In fact, what it says of Peter and John is what they realized was unique about them is they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. In fact, one of the titles of Jesus in the prophecy in Isaiah where it says, you know, they shall call him counselor, wonderful, everlasting father. It's, he's called mighty God, which is in Hebrew, El Gibor. It can be translated God our champion. And so when you get around Jesus, when you hang out in the presence of God, when you spend time in worship, it changes. I don't know, every time I've wanted to give up, I spend time in prayer and God won't let me give up. Every time I've been beat down and discouraged and want to throw in the towel, I get around God and God starts showing me more, more of what he wants to do, more of what he wants to do in my life, my family, and he wants to do the same in yours. So back to David and Goliath, 17. Verse 15, it says that David occasionally went and he returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. He's being faithful. And what I love about David is his job is almost totally unnoticed, but his job is one that's developed in secret. Do you know where God develops champions? In secret. When the temple was being built a generation later, the stones, the great massive stones would be a part of the temple they were, there was, uh, it was forbidden that any tools would be used at the temple site where the temple was being assembled. So those stones had to be shaped at the quarry. And so when they showed up, nobody saw the process those stones had gone through at the temple site. And God has shaped, he's shaping you and I. The Bible calls us living stones being built together into the house of God, a dwelling place of God. Your life is being shaped. Everything God's doing in your life, I know sometimes change is uncomfortable. Sometimes I pray prayers and I know it's scary because I know, I know what's coming next. You know, God, make, give me patience. And then I realize 
He's going to give me an opportunity to be patient. God, help me to love more. Next week, I meet my brand new neighbor, one of the most difficult people I'd ever met. And I'm walking away from that. We just moved into a new house. I'm, I'm complaining to God about my na- new neighbor. And he says, you've asked for opportunities to love. Remember, this is somebody I died for. I sent my son for. So David shows up, and I'll just give you the summary. One of his brothers, his oldest brother's there. And his brother, uh, his brother says, I know your pride, David. You're just here to check out the battle. You're just curious about this. And what I love about David is he's accused of pride. It's funny how people who are in fear will always disguise fear as wisdom. We'll always have plenty of excuses not to step out and do what's ridiculous in the eyes of the world. We'll always have excuses. See, anytime God puts something on my heart, tells me something to do, Sometimes it's going to look scary, but here's the thing. The longer I wait, the more I'm going to try to talk myself out of, it, out of it. The more I think about and try to figure out what God's saying to do, the more likely I am to talk myself out of faith. But when I simply trust and step out in what God said to do, God's there to meet me, and he's there to meet you. And Eliab comes up to David and accuses him of pride, but really he's masking his own insecurity. Insecure people will always tear others down to make themselves feel better. But David, I love what David does. He just turns to somebody else. Sometimes you've got to know who to ignore. <laughs> Sometimes you've got to know who to ignore and who to listen to. And David turns and he's, he's asking questions. Why aren't we challenging this guy? What's the reward for facing him? And finally, word gets to Saul. Somebody's stirring up things in the camp. And he calls for David and David comes. And David says, hey, I'll take him on. I'll fight him. And Saul says, well, David, you don't understand. You're just a kid. You're just a kid. But this guy's been a warrior since he was a kid. He's been training for this. He's been preparing for this. What about you, David? David says, oh, I've been prepared too. See, when nobody else was there, I had a lion and a bear I had to take on. And God was with me. You see, the real strength of your life is from the battles that you win that nobody else can see. A tree, you know, I love it, right behind my, my in-law's place, there's a, a huge tree. Our trees are all fairly new in Arizona because they don't grow there naturally. <laughs> Unless it's a shrub or a cactus, it's not from Arizona, or at least from my part of Arizona. And so, you know, I love these great big trees. The real strength of a tree is not its trunk, it's not the leaves, it's not the branches, it's the roots. The part that's very often buried that nobody can see. The strength of your life is the part of your life that nobody sees. Integrity is who you are when nobody else is looking. Hello. If you can win the battle in the secret place, see, that's why God says that's the place of real spiritual power in prayer, the secret place with him and God, with us and God, where you get alone with him. David learned that. David developed that. David said, no, no, I, I've taken on the lion and the bear. So Goliath, uh, uh, excuse me, Saul, Saul has nobody else to choose from, so he says, okay, fine. You're it. And he gives an opportunity to do what he was called to do. You know, promotion is when people recognize what God saw all along. 
It doesn't matter if people don't recognize it right now. It only matters what God sees. But if you can win the battle when nobody's looking, if you'll make history with God in the secret place, God will make history through you in the public place. God will use you because there's other people in your family. There's other people. I know they don't understand you right now. That's okay. Most of my relatives think I'm crazy, especially the Christians. All right. So David took out the lion and the bear. And Saul puts his armor on David, and, and David, David says, no, I can't wear this. Now, I don't know. I, I think Saul may have been putting this armor on, so at least when David went to battle, people thought Saul was fighting. But David said, no, I can't wear this. It doesn't fit. I haven't tested this. You can't fight trying to be like somebody else. See, far too often as Christians, we're comparing ourselves to everybody else around us. And you know, the problem with comparison is there's only two results, and neither one of them's good. Whoever I compare myself to, I'm either going to think I'm better than them, or I'm worse than them. And both are wrong conclusions. That's why I'm not to look to anybody else, I'm to keep my eyes on Jesus. Are you with me? All right. David comes to the battle. And he challenges Goliath. And as he comes to face him, Goliath mocks him and says, hey, do you come with, to me with sticks? And David's showing up, and all he's got is a sling and five stones. And Goliath's got this great big spear, and he's got this great shield, and he's got this big sword. And David's come to face him. And David says, no, I didn't come to you with swords and spears. Here's what I came to you with, the name of God, the God of Israel. And he tells him, the battle belongs to the Lord. In fact, I believe that's what he told the Saul. He says, you don't understand. The battle belongs to the Lord. We've got to know now more than ever that the fight we're engaged in, the fight that we're going through, belongs to God. And whether you've gone through, I, I mean, it's easy now for me to look back at some, and I, I've been through a couple really intense seasons. I mean, where I just wanted to totally throw in the towel. If you've been depressed, I can relate to you. I've been in those moments. In fact, I was never depressed until I became a pastor. <laughs> and, and some of the stuff we went through, and some of you know about some of the stuff because you prayed, you helped pray for us, and I so appreciate that. And, you know, those, those, those moments, it's easy to look back and see, oh yeah, there's the miracle that God did. God brought us through. But see, in the middle of the battle, when you don't know what's going to happen, you've got to know that the battle still belongs to God. You may be in one of the most difficult seasons of your life and family right now, but the book's not over. You're just in one chapter. God still has the final page. He's still got the end of the story. And Goliath is challenged by David. David takes the sling, the same thing that he used to take out the bear and used to take out the lion, works now. The same thing he developed in the secret place. Don't wait for everybody to appreciate your gift and appreciate what God's given you. Start using it now. Start using what God's given you now. Be faithful with it now. If God's called you to be an artist, start drawing now. Start doing whatever it is. If you begin where you're at, he's faithful with little, will be made ruler over much. What we're faithful with recognizes that we appreciate the God who gave it to us. David takes out Goliath with a sling. And I want you to see this because this is important. 
And, and I know there's no flannel graph. I want to see the Blu-ray of this when I get to heaven. I don't know why. I'm, just, I'm into war movies and this kind of stuff, so thankfully my wife is too. So we watch war movies instead of romantic comedies. Verse 50. 1 Samuel 17, 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and he killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, and drew it out of its sheath. He takes Goliath's sword, and he kills him. And he cuts off his head with it. There's no flannel graph for this, guys. That's why he didn't learn about this in Sunday school. He cut off his head with it, and when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. You know, the devil talks a big game, but the Bible says if you resist him, he will flee. And David takes, I want you to see this part, and we'll finish in just a second. The very thing that should have killed David, this sword, was the very thing that God used in David's hand to take out Goliath. And David takes the sword and the armor of Saul, or the armor of, of Goliath, and he puts it in his tent. In fact, the Bible says that, that sword would find its way to the tabernacle. And years later, when Saul was, was jealous of David and trying to kill David, and David was fleeing for his life, and he needed a sword, he went to the tabernacle, and he found not any sword, but the very sword of Goliath. See, why this is important for us is because everything the enemy tries to do to destroy you is actually, in God's hand, that very thing can save you. In every problem, there's an opportunity for a miracle. And David took that sword and he put it away because we need to remember that the battle belongs to God in our situation. And maybe we saw God succeed and overcome our problems years ago. He saved us. He forgave us. He delivered us. He healed our bodies. But right now, it's really hard to see what's going on. But you've got a sword in the tent, like David. And when he was going in his next battle, David went back to that sword. And he picked it up. See, our testimony is also a prophecy. Your testimony is also a prophecy of what God can and will do again. You may be, the Bible says, trouble will not come a second time. You may be facing something in your health that you fought through before. But you've got a sword. You've got a sword of God. The battle belongs to him. David not only had that, but the last thing David did is he took the head of Goliath. And this was always such an interesting part. Verse 54, it says he took it to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was enemy-occupied territory. For 500 years, Israel could not take it. But David, who grew up just a couple miles down the road in Bethlehem, saw every day that what belonged to God, the city of God, was occupied by the enemy, the Jebusites. And when it came time for David to become king, the first thing he did, he knew his anointing was not so he had a goose bump in church. It wasn't so that he could shake and bake and do all the other stuff. But also so that he could engage and take his city for God. And God's looking for people that will take on their lions and bears in their family that'll be willing to fight and engage with the stuff that maybe nobody else sees, but they're willing to not run from it, sweep it under the rug, ignore it, but they're willing to deal with it, take it on with God's help, and overcome. That are willing to go to the next level, they're willing to take on their Goliath, the thing that nobody in the people of God is willing to address. You're willing to stand and pray. You're willing to stand and fight. You're willing to confront. 
You're willing to be the one that will get in the middle of the camp. And somebody that says, you know what? I want to take my city for God. Mason City does not belong to the devil. It belongs to Jesus. Iowa doesn't belong to the devil. It belongs to Jesus. America does not belong to the devil. It belongs to Jesus. The son in Psalm 2 asked the father. The father told the son, ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. We're fighting for what belongs to him. I don't know if you would stand to your feet with me. We're going to close in prayer right now. The good news is God qualifies the unqualified. When I tell people, they ask me as a pastor sometimes, I'll have new visitors to our church, and I say, where'd you go to seminary? Well, I went to, my seminary was with the Sun Devils, Arizona State. And, you know, I, I, I go on to tell a little bit of my story and all the reasons why I'm probably not qualified to do what I'm doing. But I learned something about God. God looks for people. What I love about God choosing David, even if he had that messy history, family history, if that's the case. See, God doesn't consult your history when he determines your destiny. God doesn't look at what you don't have. He looks at what you do. And if we'll give what we have to God, it may seem insignificant, it may seem little, it may seem incapable of doing what is needed to be done. You may feel totally incapable of being the, the parent, the father, the mother, the husband, the wife that you need to be. But God's there to help you. He's looking for Davids that say, you know what, I may not be qualified, but I'm going to get in the middle of the valley. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Mark and the team. If you want prayer today, we're going to be up here at the front. And I'd like to pray with you. Maybe you're in the fight right now. We want to stand with you and remind you the battle does belong to God. If you need healing in your body, He's the healer. He really is. If you need freedom in your life, maybe you've been dealing with something for years. I tell you what, the, the city of Jerusalem was occupied for 500 years. You know, it's one thing to be discouraged after five minutes of dealing with the problem. It's another thing when you've had it for years. But don't be discouraged. It's not too big for God. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.